Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to What a Load of Cobblers, a debrief, chewing the fat on Swindon Town 2, Northampton Town 1. I'm Tom Reed, and today I'm joined by Wallach regulars James Averill and Martin Maloney. Where do you start, James? It looks like we're down already, doesn't it? Um, I'm kind of mentally resigned to it. It seems strange, isn't it? We're, we're only two points behind. Um, but with the run of games we've just had and the lack of points we've got from them and the run of games coming up for the rest of the season, uh, it doesn't paint a pretty picture. So I'm kind of mentally resigned to it almost after yesterday because Swindon were dreadful and we still managed to find a way to, to lose to them and I, I think that's the that's the interesting thing about this team isn't it we, we find new and inventive ways to to not win football matches if we score three like we did at MK Dons we'll let in four if we score one like yesterday we'll let in two uh if we don't score uh we'll let in one and if in the rare times we do keep a clean sheet we tend not to score ourselves we just find new and inventive score combinations of not getting the required results um and uh f- for me you know we we were losing games playing bad football and now we're losing games playing better football um but the end result is the same we're losing games and uh it's looking very very difficult um to to see how we're going to stay up you know i hope to be proved wrong i hope at the end of the season i can listen back to this recording and uh, with a with a nice kind of beer in my hand going, oh, look how hopelessly wrong I was. I can't see it myself, but hopefully yeah. I will be eating these very words later at the end of the season, but I just can't see it. It's a good point about us finding new and novel ways to <clears throat> shoot ourselves in the foot. Uh, for a, a club that's quite conservative in its approach to change and stuff, we actually are very imaginative and inventive about um, <laughs> losing. So that is, yeah, that's a fair point. Martin, you're an optimistic sort of guy even you must be pushed to your limits in terms of losing against Wigan and Swindon in your consideration of whether we can stay up or not yeah yeah very very much so I think um I think you know if you looked at the league table you'd say god it's really tight down there but I think the, the key thing and James um alluded to it is the trajectory you know we had the new manager we've you know you've always played that card the results are pretty similar. Um, ultimately, you know, we've, you know, we're playing much, much better football. It's been refreshing. Brady, you know, very popular and tends to see the game, I think, the way that a lot of us do as fans, which is nice. But it's still, you know, three points for a win, one for a draw and none for a defeat. And ultimately, it's not really changed, you know, which, which suggests that, 
the manager, the tactics, all those other things that we've talked about and admired about, you know, they've, they've changed, things seem nicer. Ultimately, we're not getting any more any more points. James and I were chatting for the podcast and we went through the remaining fixtures. And I think we, we said on a good day, there's 18 more points there. Right. And that's on a really good day. And frankly, you know, we've the draws we've had, we probably should have won. The defeat we had, a bit like we, um, un- under Curl, we were capable of putting in a good 30, 35 minutes. You think recently at Accrington, at um, Lincoln, you know, it was like, oh, you know, things are turning around. That seems to be something that's not to do with the manager. It's to do with the, the group of players. And that that's the bit that's quite alarming. It's, you know, we could look, Swindon were a terrible side, I thought. Um, really, really poor. And we still managed to look totally comfortable until we conceded and then we were just a bag of nerves. Yeah, yeah. I think you made some fair points there. I feel sorry for Brady in that he is just dealing with what has been, you know, dealt dealing with the hands he's been he's been dealt, the cards he's been dealt. It's very difficult without that transfer window to affect any change, really. I think the style of play has improved and it's it's better to watch. Obviously no one likes losing, but I would wa- much rather watch this style of football than curls at least people are tuning in with some sort of hope and stuff so it's diff- very difficult for Brady and I do feel sorry for him but like you say the results are ending up quite similarly but you know it, the, the players are the constant there a couple of other themes that are constant as well but yeah it's a difficult one let's talk about the goals a little bit and it started really brightly actually Ryan Watson, we've all talked about as a box-to-box player that's probably a most lethal finisher at the moment. And he proved it again on Saturday with a really good finish. It was it came on 26 minutes. It's quite well worked, actually. I quite like that it was a short throw instead of the old long throw that Keith Carroll was doing. A short throw from Kyoso to Marshall. I think it came back to Kyoso and then he whacked a long ball into the box. A bit of a, no, a, bit of a dip in. Um, Edmondson, Edmondson, I think, wins a knockdown. And it was just a really good feat from Watson. Scores from about 12 yards out, shifts his feet, and maybe their goalie should have done a little bit better, but the uh, force of the shot saw it home. That was a good start, wasn't it, James? And a platform to build on that didn't actually turn out that way. Yeah, I mean, the first 44 minutes were great. Um, I, I was saying to you again before the podcast, I had quite a good feeling about yesterday. I thought this could be the day that, you know, we finally get a little bit of luck. And yeah, the the, the first goal was uh, was was great from Watson. Um, he's He's been our best player um certainly under Brady but I would probably wager all season actually I, I'd be leaning between him and McWilliams for, for player of the season with the caveat that Watson is actually scoring goals and and frankly looks our only constant threat if I'm honest yep. um so yeah yeah it was a very nice well-worked goal good good footwork and like you say I think the keeper will be disappointed with it but I think was I right in reading that he, it was his debut he's is a kid thrown in because the keeper got injured in the warm-up is that right yeah I think that's right yeah yeah so you know um yeah I think the keeper will be a little bit disappointed but obviously it's going to be you know it's his debut young player being thrown in at the deep end so I think you've you'll, you, Swindon fans will take that into account but he, you know he, he did hit it pretty low and pretty hard but yeah I'd be wanting my keeper to save it um and yeah even after the goal i thought we 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 looked the better side um and then then the 44th minute happens and it all unravels we'll go into that in a second um martin watson is a 
a technical player, came through the ranks at Leicester City and um, probably a little bit lightweight, you'd say. He's not a huge sort of lumbering guy, but he's, he's a good box-to-box player. And it just seems that players like him are a bit of a premium Northampton. He really created that goal up nothing for himself. It's probably just quite indicative of our chieflessness up front that we are relying on him to score the crucial goals, Martin. <clears throat> yeah, ab- absolutely. I, th- I think Watson has probably shone through, you know, a, a, a really rubbish season. Um, he's, you know, he's there's no, there's never any any lack of effort. His head doesn't go down, and you know, even when he's left on the bench, he comes on, he gives you some some zip and some oomph, and he, he's one of the few bright spots at the moment. And yeah, took it took his goal well. I think as as you both mentioned, um, I had the Swindon comms on as I was watching. Um, I follow, and yeah, there was a there was a fair old bit of panic um, because this lad was, you know, probably 15 minutes before kickoff, the keeper's injured, and he's in for his debut. There's no keeper on the bench, and the cobblers did seem to make a deliberate effort to target him and try and get shot get shots away at the start. All the corners were in swingers at the start, trying to see what he's got, and you know he would probably say, yeah, he should have stopped it, but ultimately. We never, you know, what what really really disappointed me was we never really tested him after the first half. And you know, when you've got someone who's going to be a bag of nerves, um, you really want to be getting some shots away. You know, there's a couple um, Hoskins had one that bounced at him, which is sort of what you want. But yeah, it's you know, 44 minutes of of really good stuff, but not getting a second. Yeah, and then I guess 46 plus of oh. You know, I've seen this film before. <laughs> we've seen this film so many times, we've actually worn out the VHS tape, Martin. <laughs> yeah. It goes yeah. back to Carl's recruitment as well, obviously, the, the strikers' positions. Uh, Swindon had people like Pittman up front, who's highly experienced, and he's not a massive favourite with their fans either, but that he, that experience is what we're crying out for, really. And I don't know, maybe not even experience, just a bit of nous in front of goal. Um, Edmondson was up front again for Cobblers, and he's just a, he's just a callow youth, basically, trying to earn, learn a way in the game and earn a, a place I, in football. I so. think with Edmondson, you look at, he's got, he's got it all um, in terms of his physique. I hadn't realised until the last couple of games how quick he is. Yeah. And it's just a case of him putting, it's almost like, you know, possibly... Taking the chance on Callum Callum Morton last season paid dividends because he had it all. And with Edmondson, you know, scored loads of goals like on loan elsewhere, um, and in at different things. But it's just he just hasn't quite put it together. Even when he was flagged offside a couple of times, <laughs> yeah. he's still he's still hitting the keeper, and it's not mm. like he's making a great save. And you know, we've almost loaned him a year too early. But then maybe a year later we're not getting him. Well, he's, he's, actually, he's actually a good player, Edmondson. If you yeah. watch him, he works hard. He harries the opposition. His first touch is pretty good most of the time. He's actually very intelligent in the way he lays yep. the ball off. He just cannot score a goal. That is his that is his one problem, and it is sadly the problem that we need him to do the most. Yeah, and obviously all forwards, no matter if you're a Steve Howard or. You're a, you know, Scott McLeish or, or whatever. You need to have that killer instinct up front, and it's very hard to coach. So the, the likeness with Callum Morton. Callum Morton had that X factor in front of goal. He did know where the back of the net is. So I think Edmonton is, like James has said, has got a lot of attributes that you put together. And you know, when you're writing on, down on paper what you want in a forward, but unless you've got that killer instinct up front, 
it's all a bit um, futile, I would say. But that sort of brings us on to, oh, God, I'm groaning even thinking about it. Um, Swindon's first goal on 45 plus two, probably the worst time you could, can, you know, allow a uh, goal to be conceded. There's a long range free kick from Twine for Swindon. Um, James, you're obviously quite annoyed about this goal. What was Mitchell doing with his wall positioning, would you say? Because it's it's not unheard of to give an attacker space to hit. But you bloody well get over there if he does, don't you? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll caveat it by saying I don't think it was a free kick in yeah. the first place. Much like MK, MK's fourth goal. I was just like, what? He's giving it to them. Mm. I thought I thought Jones clearly got the ball. That said, yeah, the um, I'm not a goal. You know, I'm not a goalkeeper. Um, I, I I I don't really like to comment on kind of positioning. But just like I was mentioning last week about even to the untrained eye, something looked a bit suspect about Mitchell's positioning for a lot of the goals we've conceded recently. And as we were lining up that ball, I was thinking to myself, okay, it looks like he's given him quite a big target. To, to his left-hand side to hit. Yeah. I know that the wall's there, but even so, you know, it looks quite a big target. But I, I don't know, you know, you, you don't really, an, as a fan, you don't really analyse the, the keeper's positioning for the ones that he saves, do you? You only analyse it when when he concedes. Um, so it was interesting to hear that Brady thought he, sh- he should have done better with it as well. And I thought, OK, maybe my... Maybe my untrained eye does have a little bit to it, uh, in the sense, because it, it didn't look quite right, did it? Yeah. And yes, he's hit it well, but it's not in the top corner. It's right. kind of in the top, but kind of between the centre and, and the corner. Yeah. And you would be expecting your keeper to, to save it, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He gets a hand on it, but it's not a strong enough hand. And, and it goes in. And like you say, it's the worst possible time to concede a goal. And, and for me, we know with the with this group of players, they're very reliant on confidence. And I think if we'd gone in 1-0 up, I genuinely think we would have gone on to win that game. Uh, I don't often say say that with this team. But I think we'd have gone on to win because we had battered them that first half. Swindon had done absolutely nothing. And I think it just, cle- it just took everything out of them conceding that goal. Um, and it really showed with the second half performance after that because we just, we just, we just looked like we thought nothing is ever going to go for us ever again. Um, And yeah, I I think that goal was the killer, the real killer. Mm. Martin, James talks about an untrained eye. I think going to so many games and watching so much football, like we all have over the years, even though we're not actually that old, really. um, You do, you do get an instinct as to the position of certain things. And fair enough, if you're like a super confident keeper, maybe like a Fabian Bartes or whatever, that can just live off their wits a bit and get over to that ball and let, let them try and hit the target. Fair enough. But Mitchell doesn't strike me as a confident type at the moment. He's had a few mistakes. It just seemed to me that there were some marginal errors in the whole, the way the whole thing was set up. And like James has said, also you got a hand to it, but, fairly weak hand Martin do you think the goalie's culpable there uh yeah very much so I, I got this wrong we were chatting about it on whatsapp yesterday I think Brendan was straight away he's at fault there and I, oh hang on that look, top corner to me but I mean, firstly a shout out to Swindon's commentary team because James has been polite there the Swindon commentators say when they give free kick say he's conned the ref there <laughs> it was like they, they it was never ever 
a free kick in a million in a million years, and, and they were they were great, much like the Accrington team a few weeks ago. But yeah, he's when a free kick goes in, and you know I'm like fifth on the goalkeeping depth chart at Club 81. You know, it's an absolute emergency if I've got to go in there, <laughs> so I'm not. You know, I'm I'm not going to um, be too critical. But what you always think is if if the ball goes TC, you know it's probably a really good free kick. As it is, though, Mitchell's given him that side. He's dived, got a hand to it and pushed it, and it's still not made it into that top corner. When that happens, you're lined up wrong. Now, you know, Mitchell, I think we've we've said ad infinitum on our our review podcasts and and on on Friday Night Lights, it's our goalkeeping situation is precarious. I was a little surprised um, that Mitchell kept his place Tuesday. Uh, and, may, and to be fair to to Brady, you know, he's he's got two keepers of similar quality. I just don't see Mitchell. Um, he just, you know, while he's a young, youngish guy on loan, he's 25. He's probably not football league quality. I actually thought Mitchell was younger than he is, actually. He's actually 26, so I've been giving him too much credit. Yeah, so he's 26. Um, I think you can allow him for not playing too much league football. I think he's probably been an understudy at Derby for a while. So uh, you are going to get what you're given in terms of people without that that sort of experience. Um, But, yeah, I think in credit to Brady, he has mentioned that Arnold is struggling with a back problem. So I think it's not straightforward as just right. swapping over at the moment. So we're in a bit of a rock and a hard place. What were you going to say, James? I, no, I just, I just staggered to hear he was 26. Yeah. Well, according to Wikipedia. But yeah, yeah. He's, he, he's, he's 26. He's an older key. He's an older keeper than you'd than you'd think. But um, I think what I'm put in mind of. I was never David Cornell's biggest fan, and Cornell were you know. He had he had a few ricks in him, but boy oh boy, this is like if you add someone without Cornell's good good points, but most of his bad points, you know that's effectively we've got between the sticks. Yeah, if you look at Mitchell's appearances, I'll just do a quick. I'm literally just doing the same. Wikipedia, it's not 100% accurate probably, but uh, 19 games for Northampton, 11 for Macclesfield, nine for Shrewsbury, 10 for Oxford, and five for Luton. So this is a fairly inexperienced guy who's got to the age of 26 of up playing too many games which might suggest a little bit of a, an issue um so let's look at the second goal as well sorry to do this to you guys Six no I, I'm happy to look at it I think it's I think it's a brilliant goal just as a football fan yeah to, to watch because it is so bad <laughs> I'm still laughing over it it's yeah. so bad <laughs> It is. Uh, you put it on Twitter, and it was. I was. I was chuckling to myself. He said, "Like pretty much comedy hour or whatever." Um, let's just quickly go through it because it is a comedy of errors, and I'll sort of describe my my thoughts on it. So, sixty nine minutes, a really key part of the game where everyone needs to be on their mail. Everyone needs to be on it. The ball is clearly coming down that right wing from their defender. It's just so telegraphed. Joe Mills has got, I reckon, about a good ten yards on the attacker to, you know, impose himself. The ball's coming down that wing. Get on it. But he still gets beaten down that wing some, somehow. I look at Horsfall and he's trotting back like some sort of pony club. Like, really terrible. And he just leaves um, an ex-Premier League forward in Pittman unmarked. Now, that's pretty unforgivable, don't you say, James? 
That's putting it mildly, Tom. Um, yeah. yeah, it was just it was just dreadful all round. I know Mitchell's getting the brunt of it, but the, Mills was uh, some of the worst defending I think I've seen in years. How did he lose that battle? Like yeah. I said, he was he was a good ten yards ahead of him. Yeah, and then he kind of looks up to see where the ball is and completely misjudges it. But he should still be winning it because he had ten yards on him. And um, then Horsefall is nowhere near the the the, the person who, who heads the ball in and yeah. kind of starts to go towards um, where Mills is. And you thinking, but Mills is already dealing with that. You get with the guy in the middle, and that just second hesitation costs him because then he's having to sprint to get back but he's already too late and then Mitchell's positioning for it my word I mean um what he's doing out there I I I can I could possibly understand he's maybe anticipating a head back because Mills is so far ahead that he's thinking right he's going to get to it and he's going to want to head the ball back to me but when it's clear that Mills has lost that race He's hardly busting a gut to get back into his penalty area, is he? He's, he's yep. almost dawdling. Yep. And then the ball is in the air for so long. It's like a slow motion goal. And he looks he looks slow even in slow motion. He's that <laughs> slow getting back into position. Yeah. And then he heads the ball. And there's this inexplicable like millisecond where he stops in his tracks in the middle of the goal. As if the guy isn't going to head it into the gaping hole that he's left and he's going to head it to the far post instead yeah and then that split millisecond costs him getting to it and then he does actually still get to it even with his poor positioning and his slowness getting back because it's such a tame header and it's still <laughs> it's still too much for him I mean you just have to laugh otherwise you'd cry um it's it's I, I did a tweet afterwards I, it, it, it was like modern art it was yeah. just yeah. catastrophe after catastrophe um it's one of the worst overall goals i've seen us concede just in terms of sheer incompetence and mills and um mitchell were equally to blame and horsefall doesn't cover himself in glory either so i, I it, you know mitchell is getting most of the rap for it but you can't ignore the fact that if mills had done his job properly in the first place that yeah. wouldn't have happened yeah, and Mitchell was getting pelters quite rightly because he comically just totaled himself in the net. Just it was yes. a Sunday league goal to concede. I think Mitchell was Sunday. I think all all three of them were Sunday league. Sunday league fullback, Sunday league centre back, and Sunday league joke like comedy goalie just falling into the net. Um, Martin, from John Brady's perspective, you've had a couple of sessions with the team now. You're really trying to put, get the shape right and get everything right and doing your best, and then they concede. That sort of goal. What can you do, Mayan? I, I think as a manager, you, you're going to struggle. It's hard to follow James's brilliant dissection of that goal. <laughs> I, I've got nothing. But for the manager's point of view, you've got Mitchell's positioning. I don't think he's wrong if he's called because it's an easy header back, and you want him, you want it headed in that down that line. Yeah. If he's not called, he's got to stay on it, stay on his line. So either, you know, it's, it's not. I don't think it's a case of Mitchell and Mills are both at fault. I think one of them is terribly at fault initially. And there's either a call from the keeper or there isn't. Um, and yeah, uh, James described brilliantly the the lack of tracking back uh, by by Horsfall and um, Mitchell sort of 
comedic attempts to to get back get back on on, on his line. But I think from Brady's point of view, I don't think you can coach that out of people. That is just, it's an aberration. It probably happens when you're top of the, it's, it probably happens when you're top of the league as well. You know, individuals make mistakes. You know, it's, it's human beings, not robots. They make mistakes. But, you know, Mills certainly came in with a, you know, good reputation. I think he's been a pretty okay player for us. There's a lot, there's been a lot worse. Um, but we're just, I think when you when you're a poor side, you know, conceding that goal, it really, it really knocks you. You know, we struggle to come back from conceding one and Milton Keynes aside, we don't ever come back from conceding, conceding two. But I think with Brady, it's it's the mental side. I don't think this is a technical, well, apart from that, I don't think Mitchell's a particularly good keeper. You know, you've got what you've got. You've just got to keep people sharp and almost they probably, you know, They'll know who's screwed, who's screwed up there. You know, it's probably a different conversation with Horseful about, you know, you chase everything till the ball's dead. But, you know, it's probably more of a cuddle than it is a, a bollocking. Mm. Um, but, you know, what what can, we, we haven't got much else to say with, you know, if Arnold isn't fit to start, we haven't really got cover at right, at left back. And Mills is generally okay. You know, he's probably one of the last players you'd expect to make that error if, if it's him at fault. Um, yeah, Martin, they, I spoke to um, Martin. I spoke to Barry Richardson, and he's interested. He's about forty-five now, but he's he's really interested in the Royal Hotel End favourite. I reckon he had ten to that. I think I was watching him when I was a teenager. So <laughs> <laughs> he's very interested. But that goal for me was really irritating because of the lack of hunger from those defenders. You know, a hungry Mills would have stopped that cross coming in. I've told you, you know, about Horsfall just trotting back. I've I've had more hunger coming out of that Mandarin buffet at Western Fable after about 49 <laughs> duck wraps, Martin, than that defence show. Do you know what I mean? When well, I'm completely full to the brim. I mean, for all Mitchell's errors, he's totaled the stanchion, hasn't he? <laughs> you know, it, he's not stopped trying. It did look like some others did. Well, maybe in hands to stop trying, Martin, because, yeah, yeah I, I would... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think it, I don't think it was a case that he hadn't tried. I just think it was it was the appropriate ending that the goal deserved. Yeah, I think there was I yes. think there was divine intervention for the net to break. It was just the perfect ending to the whole defensive sequence, wasn't it? Is, is, is this God a... going down like, oh, this is this is a shambles. I know what this needs. You know, I mean, I can't remember who it is that said the history repeats itself. The first time as tragedy, the second as art. <laughs> all he needed was him to stand up in the goal and his shorts to fall down and he had like <laughs> love heart boxer shorts underneath trip himself over yes then we can't have a comedy yeah but it is what it is and we lost in another crucial game we lost against Wigan pretty tamely and we lost against Swindon pretty tamely which does give anyone in any right mind a suggestion that we're just not cut out for this league um, the post-match comments from John Brady were quite interesting. I always like listening to him. He was just always seems considered. There were some people after the game saying that he's not out, he's not cut out for it, he's not up for the job, which is easy in a knee-jerk reaction. But like we said at the start, he's dealing with what he he's got. You know, I'm sure he he'd want those mistakes cut out and he'd want a goal scorer up front. But you know, he's he's got no access to any of that. So um, I'll just read out his comments because I couldn't find them on YouTube. So I found them on the uh, website, I think, and I'll just read them out, post-match comments. Um, he said that we're making individual errors in games at key times, and that might be because at the moment we're not strong enough mentally, either as individuals or as a group. You can't win games of football when you give away goals like we did today. That has to change, and we need to make that happen quickly. 
we're not at our best today, but we uh, still should have gone in one nil ahead at half time. But there is a weak underbelly to us at the moment, and we need to get that sorted. We're in a situation where we're fighting for our lives. We need players to support each other to uh, to support each other to help each other out. But we're not strong enough with each other, and time is running running out for us right now. I faced every single player in the ch- changing room and told them that enough is enough. Things have to improve. We have some good players in the changing room, but in this current situation, it's not always pretty and easy. You have to fight and battle, and then you can play on top of that. Yes, we do at times, but not enough, as we are too happy to feel like we have done enough. We have never done enough, and every individual player has to be accountable and responsible for their actions. James, does that sound fair enough to you? Sounds bang on, frankly. Um, I, 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 you know, I did a, I did a tweet you know, a little while ago saying, short of Brady coming on and scoring the goals himself, and uh, you know, I, I'm not sure he could have done much more. The only thing I would have criticised him for was for continuing to persist with Mitchell but it does now transpire that Arnold is injured so that kind of I guess addresses that point um but yeah he's absolutely right I mean we've talked you know about Curl and and about Brady but we haven't actually dedicated a huge amount of time uh, on on you know on Twitter or or forums etc and things like that to actually just talk about these players and how how poor they have been this season. Um, under Curl, they were making stupid individual errors and they're continuing to make those errors under Brady. Uh, you know, I think Keith primarily lost his job because of the style of football coupled with the results um, and the fact that he had recruited these players. Um, now, Brady has obviously inherited these players and he has improved the style of football. Um but at the end of the day, these players have lost games playing bad football and they're now losing games playing better football. Um, so uh, I, th- I think we do need to take account of the fact that I think a large degree of the reason why we are where we are is because, put simply, these players have not indicated to us so far that they are good enough for this division. Um, and I, I think it's it's as simple as that. And it all harks back to the summer recruitment. And I think you can have that debate as to whether um, whether we recruited within our means, so to speak. So were we only given the budget and Keith has got the best possible players he could for that budget? Mm. Or um, has Keith underutilised the budget he had in getting poorer players? And, you know... We'll never know because we don't know the figures. We don't know what the budget is in comparison to other teams in our division. But it is abundantly clear um, to me that over how many games have we played? 31 games. This this side is is just fundamentally not good enough for League One. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll get on to talking about the manager position uh, again. I can kind of understand those people who who say, well, that, that's not to say that no one can get results out of this this group. I'm kind of of opinion. I don't think they can because they are making mm-hmm. so many individual errors that you can't coach that out of players. I don't think yeah. uh, in the in the time scale that we've got, <clears throat> the time the scale that we've got, and the fact that we don't have a lot of time on the training ground because games are coming thick and fast. We don't have the time on the training ground to get rid of those errors, which we need to, is is, is kind of my personal opinion on it. I I could be wrong, but that's my kind of opinion on it. That sounds perfectly reasonable. And the lack of goal scorers is just going to kill any football club. We're not playing tiddlywinks. We're not here to, you know, just kick the ball randomly around the pitch. There's going to have to be an end product at some point. And the lack of goal scorers is going to... 
it's going to be a problem for any manager. Even if you bring Danny Cowley in, he's the first thing he's going to say is, right, who's going to get the ball in the goal for us? Um, well, there's not a lot, is there? So, yeah, that's a well-balanced sort of uh, appraisal of it, James. Um, Martin, the Brady's comments to me, he always just seems, like I said, level-headed, considered. He makes reasonable points. He seems to be doing a good job. Well, you know, you can argue if he's doing a good job, but he's doing a job with what he's got and he's trying to work things out with, you know, an egg timer running out underneath him. Um, do you get much hope from his comments that he can turn it around or are you a bit like James that it's sort of a forlorn hope now? Um, if you think back to the end of the Dean Austin regime, there was an interview and it was really powerful where he said, I'd like to see someone else get a tune out of these. Yeah. And then Keith Curl came in, organised them, and it was like, oh, they're not actually that bad. We've had a change of management now where, you know, it did seem like heads were down and what have you, and, and the heads are up now, and they, they, they seem to be playing with a bit more joy and verve, and the results are still the same, which would suggest that maybe Curl could have given that interview at the end of his regime and been right. You know, maybe, you know, it's just... Um, a dysfunctional group of players. I think there's two ways. You, two ways you go here. Well, actually, three. Three ways you go here. We all like Brady. Seems a great guy. Love what he says. He's thoughtful. Really seems to understand the mental side, which I think we'd all agree seems to, seems to be lacking. And you stick with him to the end of the season, come what may. And then you've got a good body of work to make a decision in the off season. Say, right, is he the man to take us? forward or or not if someone like Danny Cowley's available now he's not available at in the summer because someone else is going to snap him up and you probably have to you know pull the trigger on that and do do that deal and you know that will probably put Brady's nose out of joint you know whether he stays or not who knows there is a there is a third there is a, a plan C in the old days, when teams are bottom of League Two, you got Martin Allen in. You put a rocket up, people. Oh God! <laughs> it's, it's your Martin Allen. It's your Stuart Pearce. It's your Tim Sherwood. Yeah. Your people who just go and shout at people and get three or four good results, and then it went terrible. I wouldn't want us to do that. But there's part of me that says we're buggered as we are. Why not? Roll the dice. So, are you trying to make a pitch for Martin Allen now? Should we get? Should we get <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's the right thing to do. But you know what? I can see the arguments why you would. Yeah, I can see it. I guess it's um, it links into the thoughts about the short-term thinking of the football clubs, and I completely understand where you're saying is that. League One survival was really important, especially financially. You can't underplay that. A lot of people are saying. Let's, yeah, we're not as James said. It's so chaotic at the bottom. You yeah. know, we're, talk, we're you know we're we're a good little run from being well out of it. It's yeah. it's not as stretched out as it as it normally would be. There's a little mini league of seven teams which we're currently bottom of. I think that would be more convincing if we all had any sort of belief in the team that much. I don't think from all three of us speaking that we've got that much belief especially in scoring goals and it's just a it's a really difficult one and yeah I, I just think I'd love to be wrong and I'd yeah. love someone to come in and just say oh, look, 
we get you know we're getting a tune out of them now. But Martin, didn't all these um, managers that came in, or and we've been saved various times, saved in inverted commas because it just doesn't really work out long term. But all of these managers brought in some players short term. So I remember people like Emil Sinclair coming in and stuff like that in that in that period. And any manager that comes in won't be able to bring anyone in. So there will just be some free transfers which I've looked at, which aren't inspiring at all. So I just think any manager, be it Pep Guardiola or um, you know anyone else, is going to have their hands time behind their back. I think we we really need to talk a little bit about some wider themes at play because it's quite awkward and no one really likes talking about it and stuff because it's all very well for us to just you know blame it on individual managers and but there just seems to be a pattern forming or there's definitely been a pattern forming of managers at Northampton not necessarily you know particularly to Northampton but failing after a certain period a cleaning of the decks this cycle that goes on and on and on someone off the manager circuit we're up and down like a bloody yo-yo all the time and eventually you have to look at some processes behind the football club and say is there other wide, wider themes at play? And for me, like I said, it, I wrote an article about it, that that sometimes I think actually it's actually better to take a step back to say, right, for instance, we'll give the job to Brady till the summer or, you know, on a fairly shortish deal. Let him, if he's happy with that, and try and look at some of the process of the football club because it's actually doing my head in now that we're going around in circles and having this conversation every year. I think it's six managers in six years, if I'm right. And you know, eventually you need to look at the bigger things at play. And I woke up this morning sort of thing and I've been, I'm pretty crystal clear about the football club. And I think the results are indicative of the way the football club is run and the way that we're set up. And I don't think we can particularly, as the football club is at the moment, we can expect too much more from, you know, getting a blood out of, blood out of a stone. It, I really think the football club is crying out for, for investment, really, um, various ways. So financially, in terms of expertise in the boardroom, in terms of its facilities, and trying to build the supporters base up a little bit from about 5,000 fans to what we get, 6,000. I really think unless we get to grips with that or whoever the board is at the time, the ownership model gets to grip with that, I reckon we're going to have this argument every year or so James what do you think it's difficult to yeah it's difficult to disagree with that I I, I don't know what the answer is though and that, that's that's part of the problem because mm-hmm. it, it requires such a kind of evaluation of every facet of the club in a sense you know I, yeah. I, I will I will give credit to the owners and the chairman for things like the youth academy for the uh, football in the community uh side of yeah. things or that you know i think the football in the community is actually technically a separate entity isn't it um uh i, I think we do those things well if you speak to any staff member at the club they all speak very highly of kelvin and, and, and the way he manages him but if we look critically uh, at the tenure yeah. we are now five years in and we've had two promotions under him so give him due the first one you could argue was probably going to happen anyway because we were just that good that year and the second one was quite fortunate mm. the the seasons in in league one have been unmitigated disasters um that said that's not been the case just under kelvin in our in our history no um so it, it, yeah it it is a, a kind of you know you need to evaluate every facet of the club don't you to question why is it that we implode when we get to League One. Yeah. 
Um, and the simple answer seems to be because we can never keep what we had in League Two, other than uh, when we had Atkins. Um, you know, and we then had that good season in 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 League One straight after, didn't we? Uh, we never seem to be able. For me, we never seem to attack League One when we go up. It's almost the whole this whole kind of ah right, we're in League One, right? We need to batten down the hatches and you know prepare yeah. for prepare for the worst. We never go out to yeah. attack it, even when we get promoted. Yeah. And that requires being a bit brave when you've gone up, mm. whereas we always seem to take the. Uh, I hesitate to use the word easy option, but I don't know if there's a better way of of describing it because we, we, we're so used to getting relegated from League One now, it's almost like a, ah, this is a bonus season. If we can do it, you know, if, if we can stay up, that's great. Um, this year, of course, there was different scenarios in that there was the pandemic to consider. And I can't really criticise the chairman for not investing, you know, all that, that good money, etc. Mm. when it realistically, there was a fair chance the, the season might get curtailed and that. But um clearly you know the the recruitment has has gone wrong and whether we were too cautious in the in the finances um compared to other clubs i i don't i don't know but for whatever reason it it's not worked yet again um and then you also look at off off the pitch and the stand still hasn't been built and uh you know i i, I saw i saw some tweets yesterday you know criticizing the chairman you know that they're entitled to their views and then you've also got the people who say well he saved the club and i guess they're entitled to that view as well but how long how long do we dine out on the he saved the club routine you know david cardoza saved the club yeah um yeah. So, so how long how long you know i think for me i, I just want to hear i just want to hear from the chairman what what his plans are yeah. you know what does he want to do with that east end we all know we all know how much red tape etc there's to get through it but i still don't know what he wants to do with the thing he's been here he's been here five years yeah you know and for, for me it's just he kelvin was always very clear when he came in you know i was at these i was at the meetings when i was on the sports trust board i was at those very early meetings with him and he was very clear and upfront this is he saw it as a short to medium term project now yeah. you probably argue we're coming towards the end of that barometer as such you know we're getting for five years um and i still don't know what he wants to do i still don't know mm. what he wants to do and yeah. that for me is a bit a, a problem um yeah but i don't have the answers mate if, if you know if if, <laughs> if i did you know i'm just here as a, as a as a fan just you know expressing my opinion i, I guess but um well, i think it's, i think there I needs think to be a, a clearer indication of, of what kelvin wants to do with the club if he's going yeah. to remain here as chairman or is the club yeah. still up for sale? You know, it was put up for sale two years ago. Is he actively trying to get out of the club and he's just keeping it going until he gets a good offer? If that's the case, come out and say, and then I can kind of at least get an idea of, of, what, yeah. of what the current situation is. But it just seems a bit directionless at the moment, I, I, I would say, in terms of the key major points you're looking at for running a football club. Like I say, all the kind of commercial stuff, uh, football in the community that's done very well uh, and you know all the staff that work there are excellent at what they do no one no one disputes that but the key kind of barometers you were looking at for running a football club at the moment I don't know where things currently stand and to me that is a bit of an issue yeah that's well said James and I, I guess there's two points the first one being that um, 
football has changed quite a lot, in, even in the past few years, and it will continue to change at a really rapid pace. And maybe if Kelvin Thomas and David Bauer had come in, just say when Cardoza had come in instead of them, their style of ownership would have been pretty good, you know, tick, ticking the club over, trying to make some improve the stadium a little bit. But uh, the game sort of moved on now. And when I look at other clubs, especially the clubs around us, so Peterborough, um, MK, unfortunately, um, who else is doing stuff? You know, even Coventry are looking at a new stadium at the University of Warwick. They're even getting their acting gear. And they just seem to be going to different levels in Northampton. And we just seem to be stuck in this League 2 um vacuum to an extent and the game's changing and I do I am concerned that there's quite a few people that are actually okay with us being in League Two ticking over on maybe 5,000 6,000 fans and the way the sport is changing and the club is losing money year after year and that is not a never a sustainable thing and um, in the, ne- the next few years if there's a change for instance in the way football is organised in terms of the leagues there's been mentions of leagues going regionalised um, previous to this and that there's been mentions that the TV deal is going to be changed. So I reckon some people are going to be in for a rude awakening if they think that Cobblers are going to be a pro club doing what they've been doing, muddling around in League Two in the next 10 years. And we re- I said it before, we really are a crossroads. Obviously, COVID has affected things hugely and you can't sort of, um, what's the word? You can't discount that. But at the same time, the club really does need to be looking at what it it wants to be in the next 10, 20 years or, you know, even longer, 50 years and and the processes behind it. And I think that you have to get to the stage where you do see a pattern forming in terms of our continual yo-yo existence and inability to kick on. I look at clubs like Lincoln, who are bringing in investment and having plans for trying to tackle League One. We've looked at um, Accrington a lot, who are a small club but with a really dynamic chairman and it just seems that Northampton are at that stage now where we have to sort of shit off get off the pot do you know what I mean in terms of just various things to do with the football club so the investment the boardroom the CEO have we got a, you know dynamic enough leadership of the football club at that level the sporting coordination of the whole thing so I've talked a little bit about the sporting director and how that can fit a lot of structure together the facilities of the football club James talked about the East Stand. Now, I've said it several times. If that thing gets finished as it is, I think it's added over less than 200 seats to the original structure. When Peterborough are building a new 20,000-seater stadium, how can we co- correlate those two things and that, that, that level of, you know, just trying to produce good facilities and try and grow the club? I don't, I don't think you can. And um, it just, for me, feels like we are at the moment, like I sort of began with, a League Two club with the setup we've got. And either we just accept that and say, right, this is our existence and it's going to continue. Or people start moving away a little bit from blaming managers for everything and looking at the bigger picture. Do you know what I mean, Martin? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think there's um, there's a, there's an awful lot awful lot in there um and probably things that are wider than just our club as well you know Mm. things like you know potential regionalization and what have you um but i think in terms in terms of things that you could do in the shorter term um we we talked about sporting director director of football that's our role we've we've often said john brady seems like the boyo i i look at posh up the road and you know i hate to praise them but it's such a well-run club You've got you've got someone there in charge of recruitment because recruitment's a huge thing. You know, one of the biggest expenditure is is wages. 
But they, they've got someone in charge of recruitment who's in charge of recruitment as, you know, as managers in charge of the team, first team coaches come and go. That isn't that doesn't take a radical um, restructure of the club for that. That is something that could happen very soon. But I think, you know, rather than, you know, a manager comes in, brings in his own person in charge of recruitment, you know, Keith Kerr would often talk about um, Simon Tracy and they'd have this, these cards, all the players on who the ones we, we know we could get, who the ones we think would make us better, who's the one we can't get, but we'd get if we could. And it's yeah, clearly loads of work goes into this. For me, what I would be doing if I'm if I'm Kelvin Thomas is thinking, right, who's the best person for that job? I'll recruit them. And in between me and that person, we think who's the person who's going to be the best to get what I want out of those, out of those players. Yeah. And we do it that way round rather than the manager coming in. And if it's great, you know, if you know, they get all the praise and when it goes wrong, we sack them. Actually, no, if someone's going to be here despite the manager, despite the results. Yeah, in charge of recruitment, and you go with that person for for years. Um, Barry Fry does a wonderful job at the posh, and I'm sure there are other clubs who've got sim got similar. That doesn't require massive restructuring. It's almost just a change of approach, which I think, short term, medium term, would be a really easy thing to you know you, you give it Brady till the end. You know, joking about Martin Allen, etc. Aside. You give it Brady to the end of the season. You're talking with Brady about where things are at. And you identify who's the right person to be in charge of the players that come into the club. And, you know, perhaps I'd like to think that might be Brady. Um, and then you say, right, who's going to be best coach to get the most out of those players on the pitch? Yeah. But I think you separate those two things out because otherwise it just becomes, you said, six managers in six years. The cost of, you know, sacking a manager getting rid of players, him bringing new players in. It's not, if it's actually, well, no, the manager's job is to get the most out of those players on the pitch. And I'm only going to change my director of football, or whatever I call that role, um, when I really think over a period of years, it isn't really working. Yeah. I think you get, I'd like us to try that and see how far we can go. Because, you know, we, we haven't got the resources at the minute that, you know, Posh have got or MK have got. We've got to try and do something different to to compete because mm. you can't just stand still. Um, you know, I look up uh, on Twitter. I follow. Um, there's a photographer from Halifax, used to Halifax Town, post some really really good stuff. And I look at Halifax. I look at Darlow. I look at so many clubs that muddled along in the bottom league because it was fine. Mm. But you drop out of it. Now, you might be like Luton and spend four years there and come back much bigger, bigger, better and stronger or Shrewsbury and spend one year and come back bigger, better, stronger. You'd be Stockport. It's, you know, one of the wonderful things about, about English football is how competitive it is. There is always someone who wants to take your place if you're doing a bad job. And that is, that is the worry. You know, we just, just because, you know, we go down and, you know, we'll have a different manager in charge. It isn't necessarily, oh, we'll be fighting for a playoff place or we'll be having to pay a period of mid-table consolidation. You know, you can have a bad season. You make the wrong appointments, manager, you bring wrong players in, you get injuries. You go out of the league and you drop yeah. out of the league. Some bloody good signs down there. Mm. It's yeah, interesting, really. isn't it, Martin, about how you, how you said it's important not to stand still. I would argue that that's the, that's the thing that 
we are very good at doing. Yes. Um, and I've been trying to kind of like think about why why we're like this, and I, I can't help but kind of think that it's just this this ingrained culture in the town. Yeah. Um, that that stems to it. You know, I, I've I've been, you know, obviously I, I used to be a, a kind of political reporter, so I've, I've covered you know council meetings in in Northampton, and I've covered council meetings in in Milton Keynes mostly. And let me tell you the difference in the attitude between yeah. the towns of Milton Keynes and Northampton, where one Milton Keynes will think, let's go for this, you know, let, let's give this a go, and th- there's that attitude of let's try things whereas here we are so reluctant for change of anything you know we just we think of reasons not to do things in this town and we seem to wallow in it when other when other places kind of become successful instead of us you know we look at the market square and we wallow about the fact that nobody uses it forgetting that we have the power to use it if we wanted you know um (laughs) you know and it's, it's it's far too easy to blame the council you know well at the end of the day if you use the thing more people you'll get better end product out of it in the end it's just this weird kind of culture kind of mindset that we have and we're so unimaginative when it comes to trying new things uh, uh, with with the football club as well you know uh, you know I was on on the supporters trust board and um you know that there was this whole you know the, the fact that there was a very real possibility that you know five or six years ago that the club the trust was going to have to start a Phoenix club when, when that was happening. Yeah. And, um, the, God, the, the, the kind of backlash, oh, we wouldn't want the, we wouldn't want the trust, you know, running it or, or, or things like that. I just like, well, you don't know that it might not be a success. There's been other clubs where this has been a success. They've had to kind of restart and work their way back up. Yeah. And there's just this acceptance of, oh no, it, we can't do it here in Northampton. It's just not the appetite to do anything. It's really yeah, weird. Think, James, it's I think really weird. Right. I think you're <laughs> Sorry, right. I'm having an exit. Is this a midlife crisis? <laughs> I'm turning right, 30 James. this year. I think it is. I've talked to it about myself that Northampton people, and we're all Northampton people, have got this difficult element to their personality, and it goes back hundreds of years. And it just, it's been indicative. Like, I've been down to Wimbledon to see their new ground and speak to the people that run that and some of the fans. And the conversations I have with them compared to some of the conversations I have with Northampton fans, I like chalk and cheese. Like, the Wimbledon fans, it's a fan-owned club, and they've built an absolutely fantastic stadium that is going to kick them on way beyond anything we can we can hope for. And so you'll have a conversation with someone from Wimbledon, and you'll say, look, it just seems like, for instance... You know, even you talk to them about a sporting director or anything, you know, not novel, they would be sort of interested in it. But when you speak to certain Northampton fans, they're like, first thing they say, won't happen, it won't work at Northampton. And you're like, well, why won't it happen at North- work at Northampton? Because it works successfully at other clubs. And it's just that I think it is a quite a complex psychological thing that goes back to the club being in so many financial crises that people become almost like a bear with a sore paw. So if you try and help anything, they will kick out at it. And so that it's all quite complex, but um, you know, it goes when, when we look at that that trust meeting, the open trust meeting with Exeter, and there was a discussion about how you know new models for the club and you know the um, football document that was put together with a few different ideas. And at other clubs, you, fans would look at it and go, "Right, that's a good idea." No, that isn't so good. This is good. But what we had at Northampton was quite an organised kick off against it and a, and a, and a lashback, which it just what it does is. 
it stifles debate and conversation and we do need to have these conversations and you might not like certain ideas you might like some but let's have the conversation like we're having now but that has the, been the problem at Northampton it's been a complete and utter belief in an illusory guy in a suit that's going to come and save the club and you know a godlike figure and eventually after so many years you have to actually say this godlike figure has never really appeared and we have to be looking at different ideas don't you think James it's just well, I kind of found the reaction to that meeting a bit, a bit disappointing. I, I, I you know, I, I wasn't on the trust board at the time. I, I, I resigned when I became the, the local democracy reporter, you know, because I thought it'd be a conflict of interest, to be honest, you know, if reporting on, on the council meeting and that while one organisation is potentially lobbying the council over these things. So I, I resigned and I, I kind of watched that, um, that whole process of, of kind of the community ownership argument, um, from afar, I didn't get involved in it. I thought, all right, I'll go along to the, the meeting and, and see what they say. And yeah. to me, I never treated it as anything more than a potential blueprint for the future. I was yeah. like, okay, if, if the crisis happens, here's what we could do. And the reaction of a lot of fans was, they're trying to take over the club. I was like, no, they're not. They're just putting forward some ideas. You know, if, if, if you know, we'd be stupid to not think that this can happen to us again, mm-hmm. um, because it's happened three times within the, la- the last 20 years. And, you know, you know, supporters trust members were kind of like pointed out, painted as like these left wing militants. Uh, you know, I just found it really quite distasteful. You know, these people are looking at a blueprint to try and potentially save the club if it happens again. And they're being painted out as like loonies. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I, you know, having been on that supporters trust board, you know, uh, they're all good people. And they're all supporters of the football club and they're trying to think long term long term here and i found like the whole attitude towards it quite quite weird you know just like almost like having a go at them for for thinking worst case scenario um and it's interesting though that the like i said yeah. i shifted a lot especially during this coronavirus problems and ideas that were considered quite extreme by certain people and i'm saying everyone are actually fairly mainstream now and clubs are looking at trying to be more sustainable and Kelvin's himself has said that they're going to have to cut back really on the ownership the ownership the invent sort of the money being put in by the outside owners so clubs are going to have to think a little bit more about being sustainable and modern routes of ownership and modern ways of running things and it's something that we can't escape at Northampton we can't just think all the time about we will change a manager and it will be a panacea because okay it it takes a pressure off fans having to think you know to any extent but we are having the same conversation every year like I said and it will end up with certain fans walking away from the football club because it's just maddening at the end and I've heard plenty of fans saying oh I'm not interested and stuff and it's just it doesn't need to be this way Martin that's what I'm trying to say yeah I think there's um absolutely I think you guys both said it really well we need to be able to think and discuss ideas without some kind of um, Northampton exceptionalism that's you know it work it might work those other places it won't work here um, and there is there is no harm at all in those things and I think some of the attitude towards trust it's it's it saddens me because you know we should I, I get why um, Kelvin Thomas will see it as a threat and I think that's a nat almost a natural sort of thing when you run something if there's another organisation that says it could be run could be run better what I don't really get and I think it is down to some sort of exceptionalism, is some people's attitudes towards the trust. And it's like, you know, I've had a few rants on Twitter and Facebook. Like, you know, if you think trust doing the wrong stuff, 
get yourself in there. Talk to people because they're all Cobblers fans. They're people who want the best for the club. You'll disagree with some of this stuff they say. That's fine. But, you know, we need to... The trust will be here and the fans will be here when Kelvin Thomas is gone, when John Brady's gone. And we'll still want a club, you know, be it playing in League One, League Two, the conference, wherever. You know, because we're, we're, we're supporters and you want people to be invested in that. And I, I don't really get, and I think, Tom, you put it quite well when you talk to, like, Wimbledon fans and that. And yeah. I'm sure it's the same. I, I know from work of in South Wales, a couple of Newport fans, you know, people who've, who've been through the mill with, and lost their clubs and brought it back. It's bloody brilliant. You know, they have a real investment in it. We haven't lost our club. I'd love us to have that sort of same sense of ownership and caring about more than just the, you know, the results on a pitch on a Saturday and the players wearing claret and white. People to feel more invested in the club. And I don't know that's Kelvin Thomas's fault or the ownership. I think it is, as, as you say, it's that oh, we're different. You know, we're, we're the most average town in the country. <laughs> it's like we are no different to anyone. When, when Kelvin Thomas came in, he was very clear short to medium term project so kelvin's never been dishonest about that he's always said you know he's never pretended that he was here for, you know going to be here for 20 years etc so this is the perfect time for me to be kind of having like we say we're not saying the trust should take over the club etc we're not saying kelvin's doing a bad job etc we're saying this is the prime time to have these discussions have them yeah while things are relatively stable and you know kelvin is paying the bills during the pandemic you know and he's keeping the club running and this is the time to have those conversations about the long-term future of the club okay how do we see it being run you know do we want you know um do we want this kind of ownership model do we want this do we want just private investors to keep coming in or not if that's the case fine that's the case but let's have the conversation now while things are relatively stable because you know, judging from the history of the club, you know, at some point, again, they probably won't be. Um, and if it gets to that stage, at least we've had a discussion and kind of some ideas about what to do in that scenario rather than going into it. And frankly, you know, we were blindsided by the, the last, you know, crisis. Um, you know, mm. I, I was on the trust board. We hadn't prepared for anything like that. And you have to learn from these experiences because... You know, we're not professionals. We were volunteers do it, doing the best. You know, I joined mostly so I could like, right, OK, well, yeah, people need to know when the next car boot sale is. I ended up having people ringing me at work trying to buy the football club. You know, I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's important that we have this conversation now. So we're not just talking about generally hiring and firing a new manager because experience shows us and common sense shows us that, that might not be a panacea. And it's just healthy to be able to have this conversation without you know, being accused of being anti-club and stuff, all this sort of nonsense. It's just it's just a healthy being, thing to be able to do. And hopefully we stay up this season. But like um, James has said that, and Martin has said, that the fans will be there long after most of the owners, uh, you know, have left for better things or whatever. So we just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's good to have had this chat. And um, hopefully we'll have a few more before the end of the season. But take it easy, guys, and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It's nice and sunny out there. Get outside for a bit. See you later. Cheers, Francesco. See you later. Bye. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.